But I want you to take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to we're going to look at several different verses. But this morning we're, we're going to we're just calling this our radical example. We talked about several weeks ago that God had an original intent. He had a plan for man. He had a plan. And we talked about instructions. How many of you like instructions that come with things that are not assembled? Any of you like that? I imagine some of the ladies, one of the ladies raised her hand. She didn't bother her. No, there's not a man in here that's got their hand raised because we don't like instruction sheets and we don't follow them. I, I don't like them. And that's, that's a light word. I detest them. Really, if I'm honest with you, I hate them. I hate opening something up and seeing a bunch of pieces with an instruction sheet. And the instruction sheet, I don't know about you, but they drive me crazy. They drive me crazy, especially the ones that are all text and don't have pictures. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Brother Nelson got to have, you know, he's got to have pictures. Well, how many of you have gotten those all text ones and you knew they were written by somebody in another country who technically understood the language but didn't understand what the language meant. And therefore they wrote in a technical sense, and it made sense when you read it except if you're following it and you actually speak the language, it makes totally no sense. You've got 500 pieces in this little box, and they say put A screw in B nut. We, there's 500 pieces there. Which one's A? Which one's B? I mean, you know what a nut is. You know what a screw is. But there's a, a dozen different kinds of screws and a do, dozen different size nuts. That's what I hate. It, it drives. I just want to wad it. I don't want to tell you what I want to do, but I, I want to stomp on it, okay? I get frustrated. But I, the ones that have pictures are a little better, okay? Because typically the parts are numbered or lettered. And if I can get all the parts in a pile, and I can follow that A goes to B, C goes to D, on and on and on, I can usually get it put together and not have a lot of parts left. You ever put something together and you had parts left? You know what you do with those parts? Nobody knows. But I'm a, I'm a visual learner. I learn by seeing. By example, if somebody shows me how to do something, I typically can do it. Now, if I need to, may need to do it two or three times. But if I just read it and I don't have it there to, to, to go step by step, it, it's hard for me. Now, I realize that some of you are not visual learners. You're audio learners. You read it, you hear it, and you've got it. Well, the reality is we all learn differently. There's different kind of learners. Last week, or week before last, we looked at, at God's instruction sheet for the human race, His original intent. And I just want to remind you what that intent was. Uh, God's original intent tells us who we are and why we're here. Now, those are two questions that, that I as a pastor have heard over and over. There, there's even been some times in my life where I've asked, God, why am I here? What am I doing here? Why would you put me here? God, who am I? I don't fit here and I don't fit there. Well, you know what? In Christ, God's answered those questions. And, and they're a part of the original intent when He created Adam and Eve. It's obvious if you read the book of Genesis, especially the, the first couple of chapters, you see that original intent. So I'm just going to go back just a minute and just, I'm just going to 
mention them because it's important in what we're going to look at today. But that original intent defines the parameters of, of who we are spiritually. It gives us our spiritual identity, and it's the foundation for us finding that identity in Christ. If we understand why we're here and what we're supposed to do, it makes finding out who we are in Christ a lot easier. I've got half the, I've got half the solution already. And so we talked about uh, the week before last that God put us here, number one, to reflect Him. We're, Adam and Eve were the visible image and likeness of the invisible God. They were placed here to reflect His glory to every creature, visible and invisible. So we're put here to reflect God. That hasn't changed. As believers, we're to reflect the image and the likeness of God. We're also here, and they were put there, to, repro- to, to reproduce. And they were to reproduce the image and the likeness of God. Now, they were to do that with their children. They were to reproduce who God was physically in their children, but also spiritually. They were, they were to teach their children. Their children were to spread out and to reproduce and to reproduce and to reproduce until this planet was filled with the image and the likeness of God. That was God's original intent. And, and we're still here to do that, folks. As believers, God has called us to reproduce after our kind. Now that's not just humanity. That's spiritually speaking. We're to make disciples. We reproduce by sharing the gospel. And when a person comes to the gospel, we disciple that person. And before long, you know what? That person acts like we do. Now that can be a good thing or that can be a bad thing. You see, we reproduce what we are. Now, if we're walking in Christ and we're walking in our identity, we are doing exactly what Christ has commanded us to do, to reproduce. Thirdly, God had gave Adam and Eve dominion and rulership. He, he created them to rule. They were to be the regents of this planet. They were to, to care for and to be the stewards of God's creation. And folks, when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, He gave back that right to us. God has called us to be His stewards on this planet. We're to take care of this planet. We're to take care of the peoples of this planet. God has called us to represent His heart through ruling by serving. We're not lords and masters. That's not what God's called us to be. Rulers, if you look at Jesus' example, Jesus served. He washed feet. He ministered to the sick. He took care of those who were down and out. He spoke to those that that religion had passed by. So we're here to rule. And the final one is, I think, the most important one. And that is, they were to enjoy relationship with God. They were to experience God fully as their Father. That's the original instruction sheet that came tucked under Adam's arm when he was was created. Now, that may go right over your head, but Adam didn't have any pockets. You realize that, don't you? So God just stuck that... That, those instructions under his arm. Now, I'm just kidding. Y'all are too serious this morning. I thought that was pretty good. I guess when I get home, Kathy will tell me that wasn't all that good. But that's the instruction sheet. God gave him the instructions of what to do. Spelled them out clearly. Adam spelled them out to Eve. They knew the instructions. But something went wrong. Terribly, terribly wrong. God gave the couple... One prohibition. 
In other words, there was one thing that they were not supposed to do. Now, what, what was that? Not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's thousands of trees. There's one they're not to eat of. I've heard people say, well, why did God do that? And here's the reason God did that in a simple way. Is that God gave us a will. And God's ultimate plan was for us to have a relationship with Him. In other words, to love Him. And without a will to make choices, you can't experience love. I can't make anyone in this room love me. Okay, that's impossible. You can't force love. But what happens is I can choose. And when I choose to love someone, it's an act of the will. And so there had to be a test. And so there was a test there. And, and they didn't have a long list of do's and don'ts. I mean, they, they didn't have rules and regulations about this and that. They just had one. Don't eat of the tree of good and evil. I mean, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You, I mean, they could have rested under its shade. They could have done whatever. They could have climbed it. They could touch it. They just couldn't eat the fruit. And the reason was is God was more interested in teaching them to abide in His presence than He was in their ability to perform. He, he just wanted that, that couple, that man and that woman, to live in His presence and to long for Him. He wasn't interested in what they could do or couldn't do. He created them. He was giving them the instructions every day on how to do things and what to do. God wanted relationship. And you know what? That's the exact place the enemy attacked. It was in that relationship. I'm not going to read this, but, but you know the story. They questioned, the enemy questioned God's goodness and His intent. And in a manner of speaking, this is what he said, You won't die. You'll be just like God. Now, whose image were, were Adam and Eve created in? They were created in His image and His likeness. Amen? It's not a test question. They were created in His image and likeness. Likeness means what? When you look at your children and you see your likeness, what, what do you see? That child is like me. Well, they were created in God's image and likeness. They were already like God. Do you see how empty how empty the temptation was? But that couple bought it. They bought right into it. Satan offered them something they already had. They're already like God. They were created in God's image and likeness. They bought the lie, and when they bought that lie, their relationship, folks, their relationship was shattered. And you know what? They begin to reproduce. And you know what they reproduced? Their brokenness. In fact, in, in one of the passages, it says that Adam, Adam had a son created in his likeness. They lost their title deed to this planet. When, when Satan stood before the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Temptation and offered him the kingdoms of this world, you know how he could offer them? Because Adam gave them to him. They belonged to him. He offered them to the Lord Jesus. So it was a real temptation. And their reflection, the way they looked, 
their reflection was shattered. And they, and they, be, they began to reflect God like broken mirrors. You ever seen a broken mirror? It, it, it doesn't give a true image. The image is there. And folks, the image is there in every man and woman, boy and girl on this planet. But if you don't know Christ this morning, that image is fractured. It's, it's not completely true. And so, the Apostle Paul describes that condition this way. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. What did God say? That the day you eat of that fruit, you will die. Adam and Eve died. They were dead in their trespasses and sin. And you know what? It seems like the plan God had developed, that original intent was kind of DOA. It was dead. But that's not true because God doesn't have a plan B. God only has one plan. You see, God is a sovereign, perfect God. If you study the book of Ephesians, you'll find that, that God had already made plans to take care. He already knew what Adam and Eve would do. And so the original intent that God had for us to reflect Him and to reproduce after Him and have a relationship with Him and to rule is still the plan. It was, it is, and it will always be God's plan. Although Adam failed in following God's instructions, God sent someone else. And we've been singing about Him this morning. We've been singing about Him with all our mind. God sent Jesus Christ to fulfill, to feel full the original intent. I believe Jesus is now our radical example. That's why I call this sermon a radical example. He, he's our instruction sheet with pictures. Okay? I, I read, I don't know if you're like me, but there are times when I read the Bible and I'm not sure how to do some of these things. Amen? Just be honest. In fact, some of these things look just downright impossible. But what I've learned is, is if I'll go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'll usually find Jesus giving an example of exactly what He wants me to do. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. So he sent, God sends Jesus. And Jesus is, and I've talked about this a little bit before, some of this sermon will sound familiar, and, and if you stay with this church and, and, and you get plugged in, you'll hear this again and again and again, because I, I believe what I'm teaching you this morning is the key for us to break religion off of us and to walk in relationship. If we don't really have a, a full understanding of who Jesus is, then you know what? We won't be like Him. So we're going to kind of strip away some things. And, and you may, you may have, uh, know some of these things, and some of this may be new to you, but I encourage you to take the passages of Scripture and check them yourself and see if this is not what the Word of God teaches. But Jesus looked like what the average Christian is supposed to look like. Now that may kind of sit wrong with you. That's because most Christians are not average. They are living below average. They're living below their status in Christ. And so this morning, I want us to, to, to learn that what Jesus did and how Jesus lived is not an unreachable place. 
It's not an impossible place to walk in. If it were, He wouldn't have given us the example. He wouldn't expect us to do those things. I want to just spend a few minutes this morning, and I want to kind of paint a picture of who the Bible says Jesus really is. Not the the folk religion Jesus. Not the fairy tale Jesus that that many of us have, 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 have landed on, but the real Jesus. I'm convinced, folks, that we don't grasp the full implications of the incarnation or the resurrection of Jesus. I'm I'm convinced that we don't really grasp that. Oh yeah, Jesus came, He was born in a manger. He was a baby. Then He grew up, and then He died on a cross, and God raised Him from the dead. Those are, are easy things to say, but folks, those are deep, deep truths. No other man has ever done what Jesus did. Not one. If you study mythology, there are, there are gods who, who came to earth, but they were still gods. Or there were, there were gods in pagan religion that, that, that uh, reproduced with human beings and they had half and halves. But that's not what the Bible says about Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He was all God and He was all man. And so we have a a radical example, a clear picture to go with the instructions that He's given us in His Word so that we walk in our true identity. The Bible says that in the Incarnation, at that moment when Mary, when when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and and the Son of God was placed within her womb, and, and I don't understand all that, okay? I don't even understand normal biology of that. It's a miracle. But this really was a miracle. And the Son of God, in that moment, began to be the Son of Man. He was 100% God, but He was 100% man, 100% human. And, and, and she bore Him there in, in that stable in Bethlehem. God the Son took on the flesh that we have. The God of heaven, the God who spoke creation, who flung it into being, folks, that same God became flesh. And He walked on this planet. Folks, that's orthodox biblical theology. That's what the Bible teaches. That's exactly what this Word says. And I want you just to show you some passages. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. What John is saying is there is is that God came to this planet. His name is Jesus. He's the Word of God, the Logos. He came to this planet. But there's no doubt that that John's saying Jesus is God. But then he goes in John chapter 1, verse 14, and he he tells us that, that Jesus, the Son of God, became Jesus the man. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt or dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying in one one that God came to this planet. And then in, in verse 14, that God was flesh. He became flesh. Now the Apostle Paul kind of expands on that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. He's talking about Jesus. He said, Who, although He existed 
in the form of God. That's Paul's way of saying. That's the, that's the Greek translation, uh, 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 the English translation of the Greek text that says he was God. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus was God. He existed invisibly in spirit. He was God. Who existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he wasn't threatened about what his father was asking him to do. He wasn't threatened about becoming human, becoming flesh. He, he didn't want to hold on to it. Have you ever gotten something that you didn't want to give up? Those of you that got children, they ever got something in their little hands you had to pry out? You know what I'm talking about. We've all done that. There's some things that we've all got just like this right now. Well, what the text is saying is that Jesus didn't hold on to being God like this. He did this. So he didn't grasp it, but he emptied himself. We're going to talk about what emptied means. He emptied himself. That doesn't mean he ceased to be God. So so get that out, or that he ceased to be all God. Just cast that thought out of here. Taking the form of a bondservant. In other words, taking on flesh and being made in the likeness of men. That's interesting. In the beginning, it says that God created man in His own likeness and His own image. And now, God takes on the likeness of humanity. He became like us so that we could live with Him. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, when you read this, some people, and I've read commentaries, that they didn't use this word, this is my own word, but that's what they were saying. I want you to understand, Jesus was not some sort of freak. Okay, He wasn't part man, part God. Half and half. No, He was fully God and fully man. But the mission that he came to fulfill was, was bigger than salvation, folks. You need to understand that. Yes, he came to die for us so that we could be with God. But he came, big picture, to fulfill the original intent that God had laid out for Adam in the garden. He came to reflect God fully. He came to reproduce the the image and likeness of God. He came to rule. And one of these days, folks, He's coming. We sang about it a few minutes ago. He is coming to sit up His throne and He will rule this planet. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And He came to show us what a real relationship, a passionate, dynamic relationship with God looked like. That's what He came to do. And the reason I say that is because if He does not do that, He can't be the perfect sacrifice. You see, God created Adam to do those things. And he failed. And so Jesus comes to show that God's plan is perfect. That there's no problems with it. Folks, if... And I say this, and and a lot of times folks... They kind of take issue with this, but I'm I'm going to spend some time and show you what I mean. But it was necessary for those 33 and a half years where Jesus lived a sinless life. How many of you agree He was sinless? Okay, He was born without a sin nature. 
That's the difference between Jesus and all the rest of us, okay? But Jesus lived those 33 years, 33 and a half years as man, as a human being, with the limitations that all of us have. You say, well, Nelson, he did some things that, that human beings can't do. Well, I'll give you this one, okay? On the Mount of Transfiguration, His Godness kind of bled through. But my belief is that everything else Jesus did, God has given us the ability through the Holy Spirit to do. And I'm going to show you why I believe that this morning. The reason I say that is because there are some passages but that, that, that say that. But also, if, if Adam could not do what God had given him to do, he couldn't fulfill the original intent. Then God set Adam up for failure. Amen? Y'all can say amen. That's, that's, that's true. If he couldn't do it, then God set him up for failure. Makes God look better. That's not the God of Scripture, folks. God didn't set Adam and Eve up for success. He gave them everything they needed to be successful. They chose not to use it. And so if, if they were set up for success, and they failed, then the problem's not with God's plan. And so God sends Jesus to pick up the plan where Adam failed and to go on with it. If you study the Scripture and you study the Gospels, you'll find that, uh, that He did that. Adam chose a lie, and he failed. But Jesus walked in the truth, and He succeeded. Now, this passage in Philippians, we're going we're gonna to look at one of these, and I'm just, I want to I wanna kind of give some evidence to what I've shared with you. The Bible tells us in Philippians exactly what Jesus did. It says Jesus emptied Himself. Now, the Greek word is, is kenosis or kineo. And, and, and many people will say, well, that word means to leave behind something or to separate yourself from it. That, that's not what the Greek word means, folks. The Greek literally means to deprive oneself of power or to make of no meaning or effect. Now, you, if we put that in this verse, it says, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. In other words, he deprived himself of his own power. That's a lot different than saying he gave up his power. You see, if he gave up any of his power, he ceased to be God. But that's not what the text says. The text says he deprived himself of it. He chose not to use it. He chose to limit it every day. He didn't give up his God stuff. His power, he just made it non-effective. In other words, he didn't fall back on it. When he got in a tight, he didn't step back and say, well, you know what, I'll just be God here. I'm starving to death. Nobody will know it. I'll turn these rocks into bread. That's not what he did. That's not what he did. Instead, he put on our limitations. And that's what this text says. He, he was made in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man. He put on our limitations. That's why when you, when you read the gospel accounts, you'll find that Jesus got tired. That he was angry. That he was hungry. That he was thirsty. 
That's not, the, the, the writers of Scripture don't just say that so that we'll think he was like us, folks. He was like us. When his friend Lazarus died, the Bible says, if you literally look at it in the, in the Greek text, he got angry. He snorted like a horse. That's what the word means. It made him angry that death had taken his friend. You, you ever been there? When somebody's died, there's an anger that rises up in you. Guess what? Jesus experienced that same anger. That's why when, when they ask Him about the end times, He says, only the Father knows. It, he had limited Himself not to know. Okay, as God, He knows everything. But as a human being, He had limited Himself. And on and on and on. Jesus was a real man. Okay, He was God, but He was a real man. And while He was on this planet... He chose not to use His God attributes. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, I'm going to take you a little farther. Folks, the God who loved us enough to send His Son, and His Son, remember, we're created in His likeness and image. He took on our likeness. He became like us. How many of you as you get older having problems doing some of the things you used to do? Guess what? When Jesus was 33, there were some things that, that kind of ached a little bit that didn't ache when He was 16. It's a pretty long walk from, uh, from Galilee to Jerusalem. It's a pretty good drive if you go there today, but I can't even imagine walking. Now, I'll bet when he walked from, from Galilee, Jerusalem at age 33, it was a lot different than when he went at 12 years of age. Folks, God chose to be one of us. Now, I, don't know what, I don't know where the, the enemy attacks you, but you need to remind him that God loves me and put your name in there so much that he became like me. Now, I don't know how people can say God doesn't love us. He became like us. Folks, if God, if Jesus used His God attributes in those miracles even one time, then we've got a problem with the veracity of Scripture, with the truthfulness of Scripture. You say, Nelson, you're kind of walking out there on a fine edge right now. I am, but there's a point. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 12. Jesus said this, Truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. What Jesus is saying there is what I do, you can do. And if that's not enough, let me just blow all your circuits. You'll do even greater things than I've done. Now, either Jesus meant that or He didn't mean it. I believe He meant it. I believe Jesus said what He meant and meant what He said. I've had people that go, well, you know, the works are... What is a work? Well, you go to the Greek. I said, let's go to the Greek. It means actions. It didn't mean when Jesus built a table as a carpenter, we can build tables. It means everything that Jesus did, we can do. And greater than He did, we'll be able to do because He sent the Holy Spirit to us to indwell in us and because He's on the throne of the Father. 
That's what Scripture teaches, folks. Okay, Nelson, so what you're telling me is Jesus really was a man. That's what I'm telling you this morning. And everything that he did, he did as a man. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Now, most believers, they don't struggle with Jesus being God. Amen. Do any of you struggle with Jesus being God? No. But we struggle with Him being a man. And we struggle with Him being a real, living example that we can follow. Okay? I can follow His teachings and I can the moral stuff. But folks, He said, you can follow me every step I take. You take that step. Everything I do, you do. The reason is we've made him out to be like a comic book superhero that has some kind of mysterious power. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus was God. He is God. Who became flesh. And when He became flesh, He limited His God attributes, choosing instead to obey whatever the Father told Him to do, and to use the power that the Holy Spirit provided him to use. That's what Scriptures teach. That's why he can be an example for us. Otherwise, you know what? We don't have an instruction sheet. We just do the best we can. That's not what Scripture teaches, though. Jesus is very specific in what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. And folks, he did it by being totally obedient and completely, fully reliant on the Holy Spirit. He, he listened for what the Father was saying, and He looked. When he, when he walked down the road, when He was among those crowds of thousands and thousands of people, He was listening. Who do I touch, Father? Who do I speak to, Father? Now, there are places where the Bible says He healed everybody. There are other places where He healed no one. And there are places when He walked by people and didn't touch them. One in particular, in, in the book of Acts, you remember Jane, I mean, uh, Peter and John come to the, to the temple. And there's a, there's a lame man there. He's been there for 40 years. They come through the, the beautiful gate. That's, that's the gate. Well, guess what? Every time Jesus came to the temple, he came through that gate. So if that man had been there 40 years, guess what? Jesus had walked by him numerous times, and yet Jesus didn't heal him. Give you another example. When he went to the, the pool of Bethesda, to, and where the, supposedly the angel would come and stir up the water. I've been there twice and looked at it. It's huge. Believe me, there was more than one lame man there. But the Bible only talks about that one lame man. So, so the healing took place in his life, but the rest of the people were left there. Jesus didn't heal everybody. Because God wasn't healing that person that day. Now, I can't explain that. I don't understand that. But that's what Scripture teaches. And so, what He did is He listened to the Father. He looked to see what the Father was doing. And He did it. He was obedient. He followed what the Spirit of God was doing. Every miracle, every act, He did as a man. Filled with the Spirit of God. He became the second Adam. Uh, 1 Corinthians calls him the last Adam. You know why he's the last one? Because nobody else has to be like the old Adam anymore. we got a choice now. Before Jesus, we didn't have a choice. We were born in sin. And we were condemned 
to sin. But when the last Adam came, he gave us the plan again. We lost the plan. We lost the instruction sheets. But when the, the second Adam came, he restored the path and the plan. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Now, I'm going to have to hurry up to get through all this. I'm going to give you a little more evidence of the Holy Spirit filling and, 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 and baptizing and, and, and demonstrating the power of the Spirit. I just want to call these passages up. But Jesus was baptized in the Spirit. That's what Scripture says. Look at Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Now it came about when all the people were being baptized that Jesus also was baptized. And while He was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice out of heaven said, You are my beloved Son. There's His identity. His Father is recognizing who He is. You're my Son. And then there's validity. He validates His Son. He says, in you I am well pleased. The Spirit of God descends on him. He's, he's baptized with the Spirit. You read a little farther in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was being led about by the Spirit in the wilderness. He, he, was, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit was leading him. And then in Luke chapter 4, verse 22a, you read this. This is after he goes through the 40 days of temptation. It says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Okay? He's baptized in the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit. And He's acting and living in the power of the Spirit. Instead of depending on His own power, Jesus depended on the Father to supply Him with power. And God did so in the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is the same Spirit. There's not a different Spirit that we get. This is the same Holy Spirit Scripture says that raised Jesus from the dead. That when we come to Christ in faith, and He gives us the gift of salvation, He places His Spirit in us. We are baptized in His Spirit. We are to be filled with His Spirit continually. The same Holy Spirit. Listen, I want to read this passage in, in, out of the New Living Translation, but it's Romans chapter 8-11. I love this passage of Scripture. It says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He's writing to believers. He lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. Where does life come from? It comes from the Spirit of God. And folks, that Spirit is resident in us. Therefore, we can do the things that Jesus did. We can do even greater things than Jesus did if we will listen to what the Father is saying and obey what the Father tells us to do. So here we have, we've got a new kind of man here. We've got a new example, a new species. God's given us instructions in 3D. Now, I didn't tell you this a while ago, but... I don't like written instructions at all. I don't like the ones that have pictures very much, but when there's a video in there, I can do it. Okay? And God gave us a video in Jesus. If you don't think so, just read John and Matthew and Luke and Mark. I mean, he's, 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 he's walking, he's talking, he's acting in situations that we all come in contact with. He's given us an example. And what happened... After 33 and a half years, Jesus qualifies 
by showing that God's original intent, His plan, can be walked out perfectly, He qualifies then to become our sacrifice. Those of us who couldn't qualify, those of us who had no hope, God sent the last Adam to qualify. And when He had qualified, in other words, when He had fulfilled everything that the Father had sent Him to do, Scripture says that He was arrested, He was beat, He was crucified. And the religious system of His day said, we're done with Him. Except that's not what the Father said. The Father said, well done, good and faithful servant. And He sent the Spirit of God to raise that lifeless body up. And Jesus was resurrected. Folks, He drank the cup of wrath that was intended for us. And He didn't just take a sip. He drank deeply. The Bible talks about in one place that, that he, he, he drank the dregs. That, that's that's that, that stuff that's not supposed to be in there that's solidified. He, he drank all of it. God accepted His sacrifice and by raising Him from the dead declared that that sacrifice was enough. And this same Jesus... Folks, he didn't he wasn't raised mystically or spiritually. He was raised bodily. The Bible says he ascended bodily. And the Bible says he will one day return bodily. And that body that he has, though it is glorified, it is still human. Okay? It still has the marks of the crucifixion on it. And you know what it will have? It will bear those marks for eternity. It wasn't something that He took on for a little while and then cast off. When Jesus became flesh, folks, when He took on our image and likeness, He took it on for eternity. That's how much He loves us. That's how much He loves us. I've said this before. You've heard me say this. It's not mine, but, but I think Jesus is perfect theology. Whatever God wants, if you look at Jesus, you'll see it. He's the perfect example, folks. He's the total package. And so we just have to declare, God, there's nothing wrong with your plan. Other than, I'm not living it the way you want me to. I've not surrendered myself fully to the Holy Spirit. You see, that's not God's plan. That's our plan. God sent Jesus to be the second Adam, to be the last Adam, so that He could live out the plan, live the life that God intended for the first Adam to live, the life He intends for us to live. And so, folks, in doing so, Jesus reclaimed what Adam lost. Just think about this, and we'll finish up. Colossians 1.15 says this, And He, Jesus is the image, literally the visible icon. That's what that word means. And He is the image of the invisible God. See, in Jesus, God restored the reflection again. Jesus, everywhere He goes, everything He does, He reflects the glory of the Father. That's exactly what God called Adam to do. And that's what He calls us to do. So he, he, he's, he's our radical example. He's given us an example to imitate there. You remember when Jesus told Nicodemus, what Jesus told Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3? He said to him, you must be born 
again. Literally, you must be born from above. That, that work, that birth, is, 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 is a work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I used this a couple of weeks ago. Therefore, if any man is in or any woman is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. New things have come. Folks, that's not saying God just reconditioned you if you've become a, 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 a Christian. He didn't spray a little paint on, beat, beat some dents out, tweak the engine a little bit. What that's saying is that old you is dead. Nailed to the cross. There's a new you. You may say, well, you know what? There's a whole lot of that old still with me. Yeah, but you know what? That's not God's fault. That's our fault. We choose to live in that old. God's given us new. We now have a, there's a diverging path that I can walk. I can walk in Christ. I can be a new kind of man. You can be a new kind of, 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 of woman, a new kind of man. Because we are new creations. Folks, the Bible says Jesus is the first fruit of a new species. The first fruit. In other words, He's the fountainhead of it. Adam is the fountainhead of the human race. Jesus is the last Adam. He's the fountainhead of a new race. And because He is, His victory over sin enabled Him to bring the gift of salvation to us. Regeneration. We are born again. That's what you say. You know what? We have been reproduced differently than we originally came. I was listening this morning and I'll never get it right, but every Sunday morning I get up and I watch a couple of pastors at, at 5 a.m. One of them is Dr. Rogers. I'm still enjoying Dr. Adrian Rogers' sermon. But he said this morning, is if you're born once, I'll never get this right, you die. But if you're born twice, you never die. And see, all of us have been born once or you wouldn't be in here. But when we are born again, not when we receive Jesus and we pray some prayer or, or go through this rote thing, but when we are born from above, when we are born again, folks, that old man, that old woman is put away. Done away with. They're gone. That's what Scripture says. Jesus restored that ability by reproducing after His kind. If you're a believer this morning, you have been born again after His kind. He's placed His Spirit in you. You carry the DNA, in a sense, the spiritual DNA of God. Now, you're not God, okay? I want you to hear that. You're not God. You'll never be God. But you carry the person of God in you. And because He's in you, He's to come out of you. That's what Scripture teaches Jesus also restored our dominion and our rulership for those who are in Christ. Folks, we're no longer the whipping boys and the whipping girls of the devil. Hmm, I got one amen over here. Let me say that again. We don't have to take it anymore. He doesn't just have an open door to beat the fool out of us every day. Folks, we have the power in Christ to give it back. We don't have to stand around and take what comes anymore, spiritually speaking, from the enemy. He has no authority over us. 
That authority has been taken from Him. Jesus took the keys of death and hell. He took the power. And Colossians says that when He ascended into heaven, He shook them off of Him. And folks, we are in Christ, so they have been shaken off of us. So why would we ever let the enemy get a hold on us again? Folks, we are protected by His blood. We have the authority of His name. What we need to do is suit up and destroy the works of the enemy. One of the things that comes with, with dominion and rulership is whenever we find a place that the devil holds, in Christ we are to lay siege to it until he either surrenders or they run. Now that may be in your life. That may be in your community. That may be where you work. That may be some part of the world that God calls you to. But folks, we are, we're called to be warriors, to lay siege to it. We're not called to moan and groan and, and give the enemy glory. We're called to, in Jesus' name, declare and enforce the victory of Christ that was won at the cross. We don't fight for victory, folks. You're, you're not out there hanging on till Jesus comes. We are enforcing the victory that was won at Calvary. God taught, called us to stand up and to stand firm. Not to dig a trench and hide in the ditch until Jesus comes back. Now that's what the church has taught for a long time. We're just going to hold on until Jesus comes. No, God says, you know what? The kingdom of God is marching and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are not offensive. Gates are defensive. So if we'll rise up and we'll be who God's called us to be, if we'll walk out this example Jesus called us to walk out, you know what? The enemy will shut his gates and he will gather behind it. And the Bible says we will kick those doors down and we will put him out of our lives, out of our families, out of our workplaces, out of our churches, folks, out of our nation. That's what Scripture teaches. Ultimately, though, Jesus reclaimed that prize of relationship that God had offered to Adam and to Eve. And by reclaiming it, folks, He's given it to all of us. We can have the same kind of relationship that Jesus had with the Father if we want it. It's available. That means I can go to Him, I can talk to Him about anything. That means if I'm mad, I can pray mad. If I'm sad, I can pray sad. That means if I'm frustrated, you know what? I can tell him I'm frustrated. That means if I want to punch somebody out, I can tell him, God, I just want to punch that person out. But you know what I know he'll tell me? That's not what I would do. But I can still go to him. I have that freedom. Okay? He will change my prayers. But in relationship, you know what? You don't hold back emotions. There's a freedom to share everything. There's, there's no fear. There's no guilt. You know, when, when I come that way, God doesn't go, well, now, Nelson, that's not the way you ought to act. You know, if you were very spiritual and you really belonged to me, you wouldn't do that. That's not what God does. God will say, Nelson, is that the right attitude? No, God, it's not, but that's how I feel. I know. But you know what? You've done the same thing. You're right, God. You know what? I love that person. I know, God. And I want you to love them. God, I can't love them. Yes, you can You can't love them in your own flesh, but you can love them through me. And folks, that's that's what relationship is. God's not waiting for you to get perfect. God's wanting to perfect you. 
He will work in you. He will deal with the stuff that needs to be dealt with. You don't have to deal with it. That's, that's what Adam chose to do. I'll deal with my own stuff. Look where it got him. Dead. Jesus came to give us that relationship back, folks. And I love, I love the fact that Jesus was willing to do whatever the Father called Him to do. And there's a place in Scripture where He goes to a garden. He's going to be crucified the next day. He's going to be arrested in a few hours. You know what? You want to see the humanity of Jesus? You read those passages. It says that He fell on on a rock in that garden by Himself. You know what? There comes a place in every one of our lives where we have to leave our friends, our wives, the crowd behind, and we have to get one-on-one with God. And Jesus, that place was, was in the wine press in Gethsemane for Jesus. And Jesus prayed, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me. He prayed that. God, I, I don't want to go there. But Father, let Your will be done. Thy will be done. Praise it three times. And finally, He says, Father, Thy will be done. Have you prayed that this morning? God, Your will be done in my life. Jesus restored the severed relationship that Adam traded for sin. Everything that the first Adam lost, the last Adam restored. Folks, He's not holding it in reserve for us when we get to heaven. It's available so that we can live life on this planet. See, everything Adam needed to live life on this planet, God gave him. We can't live life on this planet without these things. We don't have an instruction sheet that works. Look around. We're all messed up. Amen? I ought to get a 100% amen. I'm messed up. If you don't think so, just go back and talk to my precious wife. She'll tell you I'm messed up. She sees warts and everything. I'm messed up. I'm not perfect. But God has given me a picture to follow that when I mess up, I can look at that picture and say, you know what? I have put part A in the hole that went part Z. I've messed up here. Folks, God has restored that instruction sheet I love what 1 Corinthians 15.45 says. And so it is written. In other words, let's put a stamp here. And so it is written. Boom! The first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam has become a life-giving spirit. Jesus reclaimed eternal and abundant life. All of it. And He's given it to us in Himself, in Christ. Folks, that's the foundation for our radical identity. If you understand that this morning, your lifestyle is about to change. I can do what Jesus did. I can do these things, not in my own flesh, but I can do them in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, we've got a clear illustration. We've got a picture, a video, to guide us into this new identity. His name's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.